Welcome to the Operation Miss Podcast, where we provide moms with tools to survive pregnancy and thrive postpartum. From healthcare providers and organizations to Miss Moms and moms who survive near-death complications, each conversation will equip moms to have a safer motherhood journey, whether preparing for pregnancy, currently pregnant, or recovering postpartum. It is our sincere prayer that all women who listen will leave with a missed mentality, one where she asks questions unashamedly so she can have what she needs to make an informed decision, where she has more trust in her body's design than she does in medical intervention, and where she allows her data to guide her lifestyle so she shows up to motherhood in her best health. Now, let's listen to today's episode. Hello, beautiful. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Beautiful. Good to see you. You look beautiful. Hi, Dr. JT. You look beautiful. Hi, Dr. Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a mess when we're together. I'm really, it's a mess. I honestly, I, I just feel like it's just we're old friends. I love it. Oh, yay. Hair is so pretty. Oh, yay. my goodness. Are you talking about Jessica? Both of y'all. Gorgeous. You two. You all gorgeous. <laughs> all the natural goodness all in one place. I know. I know all different naturals today. Oh, really? In all faces. <laughs> yes. Seriously. I miss my little fro. <laughs> I love you are doing sometimes. it. Yes. You know you look beautiful. And we're so happy. We have to do this again, and I just have to let it go for y'all. Okay, we're gonna do that. Let's just plan for it. Yes. Hey, everybody that's joining. We got a lot of people joining, y'all. Yes, we're so happy you're here. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, I'm excited. Thanks for inviting me. Oh yes, we're so happy that you agreed to come on. You know, this is it's just timely that we're talking about this and we're so grateful that you mm-hmm. decided to come on and talk with us because there's no time like the present really with everything mm-hmm. that is taking place. Women need to know what's going on with their bodies sooner than later. So Absolutely. I'm a big believer. I feel like honestly a lot of my clients would say to me, oh my gosh, I don't know how you can do the work that you do. I felt so vulnerable and here I am. I'm like, why would I not share this? Why would I not share what happens to every, you know, person in some way, shape or form, which is just um, the byproduct of not understanding how the medical system works or how their body works. That happens to every single person. Right. And so why wouldn't I share my experience the way that so many people have trusted me with their experience? So you, I mean, really, I have the honor of I, I'm more honored, really, to uh, to speak with you, you guys, about it. Oh, 
This is the perfect segue, right, Justin? Go ahead, do your thing, introduce the podcast. We're ready to go. Yes, what's <laughs> up, everybody? I am one of your co-hosts of the Operation Miss podcast, Jessica here. We also have our other amazing co-host, Dr. Catherine here. How are you, Catherine? Wonderful. Love being in y'all's presence. You know that. Yes, and we have a special guest today, and Catherine does, like, such a great job with introducing our guest, so I will let her introduce her. I will tell you something. This one is a hard one to introduce because she is so amazing um, that if I tried to do it, yeah, I would be doing it a disservice, but what I will say about Dr. Seagraves is that from the moment we connected... I knew that we were meant to be connected. And, you know, sometimes you just feel that way about somebody. You get that feeling. But then as soon as they start talking, confirmation just happens after confirmation after confirmation with every subsequent conversation. And that's what's happened with her. She has a heart. She has a heart that's so big that she's willing to unveil her trauma, to relive her trauma so that someone else doesn't have to. And so... I think that of all the things that I could say about her, that's the thing that really makes me admire her the most. But on top of that, when she sees a problem, then she goes in and fixes the problem, even if it takes her across the country, okay? And so she is willing to do that because she knows that women need advocates uh, that are educated and that have the knowledge, the information, the experience. That's what I mean by education, not just book knowledge, but the things that they've lived, the lived experience to advocate for them. And so when she told me what she was doing with maternal health and fighting the fight, she said, she said to me, I'll never forget, she said, you know, y'all have the verbiage, like y'all know how to say things. I'm just out there in this fight saying whatever I need to say to make sure that no black women, no people of color are dying under my watch, on our watch. And so because our visions aligned so closely and because her passion was so strong, we were like, we have to stay connected. And ever since then, we have gotten closer and closer and we are just so grateful to be here, to be here with you, Dr. Seagrave. So please tell everyone who's listening about you so that they can learn more about your background professionally before we jump into, you know, getting to know you a little bit more personally. Absolutely. I, I can't help but start with the personal, though. I mean, people have to like know what y'all talked about, like moving across country. I'm here right now in Washington state. I have never <laughs> known, you know, a place where I, I literally thought would be the last place I would live. But I'm here across the country. And I have to say it was primarily because I gave a talk on the topic that you know, overall, it has been my passion area for the past two years. I gave a talk at a national conference this February and a program director of, of a physical therapy program uh, spotted my talk. And, you know, she invited me and my wife to, you know, have, um, you know, drinks that night and here I am now an associate faculty for a DPT program and I honestly like a year ago couldn't really see me putting it in a more eloquent way we have to stop doing what we're doing to black women to all women who come into the hospital and entrust us with their care 
And so somehow I didn't have to find those words. I didn't have to be eloquent about it. I got my point across and it's gotten me here, right? And so really in a nutshell, if I can explain what I do, I do what is literally the bare minimum of any health professional. I don't put myself or what I do or my purpose or my mission on a big high um, plateau because it's the bare minimum. We should be offering people who entrust us with their care to deliver their baby, to um, make it through the birthing process as safely and healthy as possible. We, we entrust that system to give us the information we need to heal. And so what I did as a physical therapist was literally provide services that come standard of care after any procedure you can absolutely think of. A knee replacement, a hip replacement, a back surgery, a gallbladder surgery. And I asked those therapists who provide those services to just do what y'all do over on the obstetric unit. Can you please go over there? Yeah. Like you will see somebody who's off the street, who does not have a home, who is on substance abuse, but you will not go over to the maternity care ward and offer your services to someone who can barely get out of bed, but has to go up two flights and carry a baby within yeah. their first week to the pediatrician visit. What are you talking about? That is unethical. So yeah. I didn't know how, when I actually met you and, and was listening to your podcast and just, I was like, oh my gosh, where have they been my whole life? Because I want to <laughs> speak like that and I want to look that good. So what do I need to do to get in touch with these ladies? Like, how do I surround myself with people who just talk so well? <laughs> they speak so well and they say it so much better than I do. So that's, oh that's what I do. That's what I do. I feel like I do the bare minimum, but you go above and beyond. Operation Mist is literally, literally the absolute key to saving our lives you have returned community to a community that has lost it. They have lost the, the, the lines of communication that keep us here on this earth, that every culture that our ancestors literally survived with because they had someone that was watching out for them, that was making sure things didn't go haywire. You're returning that to maternal care. That is, is worth talking about. What I do, offering care within the first 72 hours of birth and then letting them go home, not knowing if they're gonna return to the hospital again, that's bare minimum. That's bare minimum. Well, we appreciate you, because let us, first of all, thank you, because um, you know, Jessica knows, Operation Miss, to us, it means so much. Um, every mom that avoids an induction, that's unnecessary. Every mom who is told you're going to have a C-section and she comes out with a vaginal delivery and thrives. Every mom where an infection is caught when she's at home between office visits. For every mom that we send back to their doctors because we've caught some complication with their pregnancy. And then for every mom who walks through pregnancy healthier because they're able to see how their day-to-day -day choices are affecting their sleep quality, how it's affecting their recovery, how it's affecting their overall health. We are so grateful to be entrusted with the lives of these women that, um, that to hear you say that is, uh, is just very humbling. And we too feel like this is the bare minimum that moms should, should get, right? Yeah. They should get that one-on-one, -on -one, somebody watching them, caring for them that they can call 24 seven. 
or that we reach out when we notice that something's not quite right. Because it's not always the data. Jessica and I believe that there's so much more to Operation Mist than a smartwatch. Um, we believe in collaboration with other providers like you. And so I want to throw it back to you because what you're not going to do is take over this podcast and put it all on us. Because you, when you found out about our services, referred someone to us so that we could help them. And so it's like, it's a team, mama. There is nobody, if, if there is no one helping them in the hospital, which you know I worked in a hospital system for 12 years, if there is not a you, then what's the purpose in there being a us, right? Mm -hmm. Women need us at all times before they get pregnant. So from the time that they are babies coming out the womb to when they hit puberty and then they, they need to be explained what is this cycle to when they are trying to get pregnant and are preparing their bodies then to throughout the pregnancy, but then when they deliver Dr. Seagraves, they need PTs who are there to teach them how to get into and out of the bed, how to hold that baby. They need you watching their vital signs to make sure they're not overdoing it because they need to walk 300 feet community distance before they're discharged from the hospital. So we need you because we're not there. We need doulas because we're not there. We need midwives and OBs and kidney doctors and cardiologists and I mean, we need, every, we need each other. And I think that the system is broken because we don't collaborate with each other. We need social workers. Um, so we need you. That 72 hours that you are working with, the, with those moms makes a huge difference. We need massage therapists who are going out to the home and doing tuck-in programs. We didn't even know that existed so long. Wow. And so it's like, we need someone there with the moms all along the way. So thank you for what you do. And then when you notice that someone needs our services, you refer them to us and vice versa. When we have moms in the hospital, guess who we're telling them to request? Physical therapy, lactation Absolutely. have a doula there with you. So it's all, it's all of us that women need. It's like you said, restoring that community is not just us. Exactly. You are absolutely I right. Love, I love the community that you brought up because Last night for our uh, monthly miss meeting, we usually like educate in some sort of way, but it ended up just being almost just like a fellowship of the moms, just like building community and learning from each other's experiences. And it's so important for them to have community and we're happy to do that for Operation Miss. But like Catherine was saying, that community is important for us as healthcare providers as well, because if we communicate and if, if we truly act as a community, when serving moms, it would be so much better instead of just treating in like silos. And you know how it is when patients ask you things that you think that they would have got from this provider or you have to say, well, go ask this person. If we could just all communicate and be a community as healthcare providers as well, things would be so much better. But let's, but let's get back to you, Dr. Rebecca. Let's, Let's just shift the gears more towards you. So can you tell us a little bit more about like what you do like outside of your new teaching role? Yeah, so absolutely. I really, first and foremost, so I'm a pelvic health therapist that started working in the hospital just in 2020. Um, I really honestly during a residency for women's health physical therapy, did a little bit in inpatient, but it was really 2020 when I started working in the hospital specifically with moms after cesarean section and starting a program that didn't exist really in, in that 
in that form on that scale anywhere around the country, right? We had small isolated areas in rural communities um, that we really honestly just tried to rinse and repeat. But when you do that in a big metropolitan area where 500 moms are given birth a month, and that was just, that was on a scale that I'd never seen. So it took us six months to have every mom after C-section be guaranteed a visit before she left the hospital with a PT. And we honestly didn't do it with research, which I had therapists like, well, what's the evidence that they needed? And I, you know, in that same vo voice and tone, I say, what's the evidence that they don't? Like, you tell me, have you assessed her vital signs with activity or was the nurse just checking her when she was just in bed resting? Mm -hmm. Did you assess after she lost that much blood, two liters and more, that she could actually walk around her room safely? And so I would just get a little tone in my voice, a little heat. And that's really how the program started because they were just afraid. No, no, I'm not going to say that. They were honestly like, there is no reason you're right. There is no reason that we should be withholding services. This is unethical. That's and they were afraid. So it was just like, <laughs> just, just say it, say it. Just, just say it. Right? <laughs> you you made a like, post I was like, yes. that said where ethics meets evidence. I will never forget that post, right? How can you say that a woman who has had seven layers of her body cut open, mm -hmm. that she would, that there needs to be evidence that she needs physical therapy? I am so grateful. Don't, I couldn't, I yeah. honestly, I so couldn't great. wrap my head around it. I was just like, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing and try to do 50 years of research so you guys could do right. I'm done. I'm and, done. Yeah. And so that's when I thought I had walked away <laughs> from the physical therapy profession. I just walked right into it even deeper. Like to now be in a classroom where I could tell everybody in their cardiopulmonary lecture, yes. what are you going to do with a pregnant mom? Yes. Yes. Like you apply this to this population because guess what? The cesarean section, not the knee replacement, is the most commonly performed surgery in, in the United States. So are you going to graduate being able to treat somebody after that surgery like you could treat them after this one? Are mm -hmm. you going to be able to know? So it's just, I mean, so those, it is, it's now that that is just keeping me like, you know, excited and busy around the world outside of like teaching. I still make time. I, I left the acute care hospital and went right into doula training. Wow. I was like, I saw too much. You know, even, even that, that's why, you know, earlier, yes, I'm saying it's the bare minimum because I still saw too much. I still mm -hmm. saw that there were unnecessary procedures. I still saw that we still were not creating community you know, by asking moms, you know, what's your support really like? And it was during COVID, right? So we were getting away with it. We, we let that, pan the pandemic, right? It hasn't gone away. We let the pandemic allow us to just send someone home and us turn away and not, mm -hmm. and not, and not ask questions about what would happen. Yeah. So I saw too much and now I, I had the responsibility. It's almost like you can't unsee it. So I had to be a doula. I had to go into the hospital with mom and, and say, that Pitocin dosage is, is real high. She, she's literally, that's six contractions within 10 minutes. Mm. That, that's putting her into hyperstimulation. I had to literally start to drop terms, like reminding people, I'm still a doctor. Yes, yes. Doctor yes. 
need to bring it down like you need to bring it down like she can't even like we can't walk we can't get out of bed yes we can't turn on her side like i mean you're trying to get her to c-section i know this now mm. so th that's what i'm saying it's like once i i reached a certain limit and, and i want to get into kind of the the topic uh really that you you asked me to talk about tonight Girl, but i reached a certain limit <laughs> but i reached a certain limit where it's like when you know the medical system right you can't be mad at them actually you can only be mad at yourself for not realizing they're doing what they're meant to do practicing medicine mm -hmm. so when i started my own fertility journal a journey i was like why was i mad over six months of wasted time when i was going to folks who were just doing what they were meant to do was to practice medicine if i wanted to do natural fertility then I would have gone to someone who specializes in natural fertility. Why am I going to get mad about being denied access to just information about my body and how it operates from someone who wants me to use their services, which is medicine? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. practicing as a physical therapist in a hospital, it, I found my limits because I saw moms who were expecting to have the delivery they wanted, not realizing you go into a hospital yeah you're going to providers who practice medicine so yeah. you will have a medicated experience and if you don't want one then yeah. that might not be your first option you have mm -hmm. to evaluate and be knowledgeable about other options that really fit what you want yeah and that's where i just kind of like i'm still learning because you know i mean like it was anybody you have a new condition you're going to have a whole no, new experience. If you encounter a provider and then there's that disconnect of, oh, well, if you wanted to change your diet and your lifestyle, you go to someone else. You don't go to me. Wow. And that's what it really comes down to for me is I'm not mad at the medical profession. Y'all are doing what you do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I do, which is what the client eventually wants, which is the experience that they want. So I'm going to honor that. And I found that I could do that as a doula. I couldn't really do that. In the confines of a hospital working as a physical therapist you said so much oh my gosh and that is so true and i am learning that about yeah. the medical profession like when you go to see a medical doctor their form of treatment is medicine or some sort of injection or then surgery if we're speaking like in physical therapy terms you know like orthopedic mm -hmm. stuff like that's what they have to offer you. And because, you know, as physical therapists, you kind of get patients who may say, well, like patients with high blood pressure, like, well, you know, nobody talked to me. Like my doctor didn't talk to me about what I should be eating or, you know, how I should be moving. And it's like, well, they give you, they're trying to give you the medicine to decrease your blood pressure. Maybe not so much. And some of them are, you know, but sometimes you just don't get that holistic, you know, type of experience from like medical providers. And you are so right with saying that's on us to be a little bit more educated with other providers and, you know, learning which provider is best for you for the experience that you want to have. Because if you are someone who wants an epidural, if you're listening, totally fine. You know, a hospital setting or like a birthing center may be where you want to go. But if you are somebody that's like, 
I don't want any Pitocin. You know, I don't want to be induced. I don't want an epidural. I want a non-medicated birth. Well, maybe you should think about more so home birth, birthing center over here, you know, but just know you have options because if you have in your mind that you want this experience, but you got the wrong setting, then things don't add up and you don't get, you know, what you want out of it. So that's so good. Absolutely. I mean, the providers really honestly, when we say, you know, go seek um, an opinion from your doctor if you want to change your diet or if you want to start exercise, they don't bill for that type of advice. There's, it is not a procedure connected with that kind of information. So a lot of their time and their training is really spent around what they can bill for, procedures, medication. And so they're really not the ideal first provider that should be the, the entry point of, of seeking lifestyle changes or nutritional advice. That's not their area of expertise. Yeah, yeah. And so when I was in the hospital and seeing Cytotech constantly, I was tracking on my own, and I can't say the hospital and stuff like that, but tracking outcomes on my own and I would see these first time moms mm. 12 hours later like clock clockwork primary c-section cytotech 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 like, what mm. is cytotech wait a second cytotech I had a leak procedure and my OB cut so much tissue that she she told me when I was healing that I would need cytotech if I planned to have birth or I would just have a c-section and I was like, you couldn't tell me this before the surgery? Exactly. Anyway, Cytotech. Exactly. And I was like, oh, shoot, Cytotech. Let me look that up. Oh, that's not even FDA approved for birth. That, that's a gastric ulcer medication. Oh, wait, no, that's, a, that's an, a, a medication used for abortion. Oh, wait, no, that's a medication used for postpartum hemorrhage. Oh, no, wait, that's a medication used for induction. This thing had four different uses. And it's only FDA approved for, for one. <laughs> gastric ulcer. They found out by accident that you shouldn't give it to a woman who's pregnant because she could actually abort. Wow. So this is a, a, a medication that was refurbished, which we know is done. This is not anything new, but it's a medication that yet again was refurbished for the obstetric population to try to tweak it right. But sometimes you can't really do something, you know, as like closely as possible as it should be prescribed because honestly it's it's an it's an oral medication right or it can be inserted rectally it can't be dosed like pitocin which is which is iv mm. so cytotech is cheaper though than pitocin so mm. i was seeing all of these you know non-reassuring heart fetal you know and just just you know a uh, failed uh, uh induction of labor, uh, you know, just these failed trial, trial of labor after uh, a C-section, you know, with, with uh, moms who attempted a VBAC, a, a vaginal birth after cesarean section, just failing, 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 seeing Cytotec connected to that. And I'm like, okay, I can't tell the mom. I can't tell my colleagues. I can't tell anybody what I'm seeing. I can just see that this is a medication. This is a healthy mom, baby was head down. First time delivery, she was at term, meaning she was ready to give birth, and they just wanted to speed things along. Yeah. You know, speed things along, 12 o'clock, 12 hour shift. Cytotech has that unpredictability mm -hmm. in, in, in labor and delivery that other medications don't do. So again, as a physical therapist, I felt bound 
I was mm -hmm. waiting for people to have C-sections so I could treat them. I was no better, really, honestly, to me, than someone who's just waiting for the surgery to just come through and then I just do the rehab. I wasn't really educating moms or informing moms to say, is there another type of medication other than Cytotec that you have? Is there another way that we, or do we have to induce? Or just, I mean, just things that I now do as a doula, I, I couldn't do that after the fact. I was waiting for the C-section and then I would get the order and then I could do my therapy. And just at least make sure they had a better recovery, a better chance of recovery. But you saw, so I was seeing things that I felt ethically, I just couldn't continue in that environment. So now what I do is I teach the, the professionals in that environment, the OTs and PTs that are already there to say, listen, here's what you can do in the first 72 hours. I'm gonna go over here though. I'm gonna try to help them on the front end so you don't have to see a lot, hopefully. Because right now, still the most commonly performed surgery in the United States. So you're gonna have plenty of work to do, but I'm gonna try to work with these folks over here, Operation This, get on their train and try to see if we can stop that. Because I really don't want us to have another industry that's just dependent on us doing the same thing we're doing. Amen. 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 We like to live in the prevention space. When we started Operation Mist, we decided if Black women are dying because they're bleeding too much, they're getting infections, they're having heart issues, every decision that we make will be to address those three issues. And it starts with women understanding that they were designed to give birth. And if you walk into a medical system that does not allow your design to work the way it was intended to work, you will walk out of there unhappy. Now, if you walk in informed, because what you're talking about, Dr. Seagraves, is informed consent. Mm -hmm. Women come in thinking something is wrong with them because their baby's not there by their due date. And we just had this conversation last night because... We cannot have women, <laughs> here's, here's our analogy. So if you order something online and it says the delivery date's gonna be between August the 1st and August the 15th, typically you're hopeful it'll get there on August the 1st, but if it doesn't, you're kind of waiting till the 15th and if the 15th comes and it's still not there, you're not going to the factory, to the warehouse to go pick it up. You're gonna wait, it's gonna probably get there on the 20th and it got there and you're gonna use it. But the problem is, is that we have too much control over a process that was never meant to be medically controlled. And so now doctors can come in or women can say, I'm tired, I want to be pregnant anymore. Not no miss women, no miss women ain't saying that, but some women will say, I'm tired of being pregnant. Or my doctor said that, you know, I've been pregnant for a long time. My body is probably in distress. No, it's not. A lot of the times it is not in distress. And so the problem is if you try to go to the factory and get it, which you would never do for a package that's coming in the mail, then you have a problem. So we like women to say, you know what, if my due date is on the 15th of August, let me just two weeks before and two weeks after. So it could come on August the 1st, it could come on August the 30th. And then that way you got the delivery date range. And so you're not sitting there thinking something is wrong with me because the baby's not here or my family is here, everybody's waiting on the baby, or I only have this much time off for maternity leave or mm. none of those things. We have to wait for the baby to come. Yeah. I cannot, y'all just do not understand the frustration because now we've seen too many births happen that they were invited in to be induced and the moms were like, no, thank you. Or they were told you will never every have time. a vaginal. Say it just the right. It's every time, literally, every 
every time. But you do the research, and like Catherine said, like, what is it, like 5%? A very small number of births actually happen on their estimated due date. It's an estimation. That's what um, Dr. Taylor is saying. So, like... (laughs) But it happens every time. And if you are a first-time mom, if you're not educated, you get so scared. You think that you really believe that the baby's supposed to come on this day. And it's really not. And I think, like, um, Catherine is saying, like, a range is so much more practical. I wish we can start just, like, pushing that out there more for moms. Mm -hmm. Because there's really no way for anybody to know exactly when their baby is going to come. Because it's going to come when it wants to come. Yes, and we had a baby in the birth canal. She was, and listen, y'all, she was birthing, she was laboring uh, four days, okay? She was having contractions, let's say, for like four days. She stayed home, text Jessica when she went, when she went into labor, was like, hey, what's up? Just like, stay home, girl. Wait, just stay home. So she stayed home for 12 hours, no, 14 hours. Went to the hospital. The bed, she's eight and a half centimeters. Baby's head is at the, I'm telling you, baby's head is like at the vagina. That's wow. And, and the doctors are like, oh, you better push. This might end up in a C-section. Come And, and this on. is someone Y'all. who was having a V-back. Yes. And she had all of, she had, um, but she had gone through so much to get to that point. And she right. was at the finish line and the, the the scare of you know having a c-section was still there like literally yeah. at the finish line and forceps mm. and vacuum so forceps vacuum or c-section if you don't push do you know what kind of pressure that you know what kind of stress this does to the the cervix yeah. like physiologically yes yes so she's sitting there literally like, will, will, will cause dilation out. But it's like we should never be rushed in that way. Because if I was out in the field like an animal, I'd have as much time as I needed. Like, that's the problem. Animals birth better, have a better birthing environment than women. That should not be the case. Definitely. It should not be the case, right? And the thing about it is, there are some amazing OBs. But you have to find them. You have Mm -hmm. to interview them. You have to go to the misprovider <laughs> registry <laughs> so you know who to go to. Because if you don't, then you can end up being a product of the system. And, and Dr. Seagars, what you said is so true. Sometimes you can have all the best intentions, but if you are working for a hospital system that does not support your intentions, then it's hard for you to do your job. There are a lot of doulas who they may not admit what you just said, but they mm-hmm. too are afraid to speak up when they're in there because they're not given the respect that they deserve. And when we think about how birth was done mm-hmm. way back when, it was not in a hospital setting, mm-hmm. okay? And it was by people of color who are now being told, you have to have this degree, that degree. My great grandmama taught me how to do this. I think I'm good, <laughs> right? Like yes. I have a birth with my great grandmother's daughter than I would, to be honest with y'all know my story. I had both of my children at home, okay? Mm-hmm. Preeclampsia, scare and all. I'm at home doing this thing because my body was designed to do it. Everyone should not do what I did. So don't, please do not be like, oh, okay, I have preeclampsia, I'm going to stay home. No. But what I knew was that if I went in, it could go really, really bad. 
And so could I live with that decision or do I want to ride with the, with the midwife who was riding with me? The one who said, Catherine, you know what? If anybody's body can do it, yours can. Like mm-hmm. she believed that it could be done. And if I went to a hospital setting with a doctor who did not know me, with the doctor who did not know me, that I saw afterwards, he told me, you're black, you're old, you live in the South, this was bound to happen. Then I would have been, I would have had the story that I didn't want to have. Mm -hmm. And so we have to start being more diligent about who we decide to give, who we hire to do our delivery. You are paying these people. Your insurance is paying these people. So make a good decision. That's it. There are OBs out there who want to see this done right. Midwives out there who are underappreciated and under underrecognized. People don't even know the difference between a midwife and an OBGYN. I spoke with someone last week and they said, I didn't know an OBGYN was a surgeon, that an obstetrician was a surgeon. They didn't know that they were trained to do surgery. So right. if, you, if you're not going in while they have surgery, then like y'all said, choose the right provider. You would right. have your adult child your adult daughter to a pediatrician mm-hmm. and expect that the pediatrician is going to treat them like they would a child so we have got to start number one going to the right provider and then number two pulling the other right providers onto our teams everybody can't afford a doula baby you can't afford not to have a doula a doula that's going to be like dr c graves and speak up not just mm-hmm. any doula but the doula to you here advocating for their patients who are not just bandwagon doulas. So everybody's being a doula now, I want to go be a doula. No, Mm -hmm. someone who is called to be a doula. And so if you just investigate, if you interview before Mm -hmm. you get pregnant, do the work before you get pregnant, then you won't be like, okay, I'll just go with who's convenient. Okay, I'll just go with who's in network. I had to Mm -hmm. pay to deliver my baby at home. She was not in network. But if I can spend $2,500 on... I mean, I don't know. I'm not a spender. But if I did, if I had to spend $2,500 on something. I was like, she lying. On something, right? <laughs> then spend it on a midwife. Right. I can spend $600 on a doula because right. I want it done the way I want it done. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly I mean I had to really just be honest with myself after a while. I'm like, this is not about money. This is about information. Yeah. You know, we're sold on the truth that if there is you know, a condition, if I'm pregnant, I go to an OB, I go to the expert in that field. And so we're really honestly, we're talking about information, because I've been informed that the OB is the expert in, in birth and labor and delivery, whereas the, the midwife actually is. The midwife is the expert in labor and delivery. The OB is the expert in medicine in surgery and so you know it's very different when you just sit down with that you're like oh wait 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 what what do you mean mm-hmm. and then and then you can start you can start educating because you got that person to question you got that person to pause and say wait 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 what what do you mean the ob is not an expert in birth and this is not against ob's i work with the best my best experience was with an ob who was a do who spent 60 minutes with me face to face. I had never had an experience like that with a doctor. Wow. And I was literally at my last, like she was my fourth OB because I was that type of patient. I was not going to have a hysterectomy, but I was told probably need a hysterectomy because I had stage two cervical uh, dysplasia, CIN, you know, but basic, basically, a step down from 
true cervical cancer. And at that time, I was again in very densely populated metropolitan teaching hospitals where you did hysterectomies on somebody who doesn't have cancer yet. Mm. Oh my God. And so I was literally, I was in a rural part of North Carolina, moved away from Duke and Durham and did not take the advice of the first one, the second one, or the third one. I went to the fourth one who was a DO, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. And I was like, is there anything else I can do? Looked at me, leap procedure and changing your diet. You mean about that? My diet's fine. I have Taco Bell a little bit. I mean, why? I mean, I, you know, I work out. You know, what are you talking about? And really, she took the time and she taught me about plant-based yeah. eating. And I was like, okay, my father is a vegetarian, but like, what do you mean? Like, no meat, no eggs, no dairy. Try for a little bit. And she gave me books. She gave me books like Catherine gave me books. Right? Like Dr. Sylvester gave me books. She literally taught me. I'm like, this woman, when I think about it now, I'm like, this doctor could not have been building for that. What would, how is that being billed for? How is that a procedural code? Like, what was that that she sat with me for an hour and taught me about lifestyle changes that could literally change the physiology and the, the anatomy, if you will, of my uterine lining, of my cervical tissue, Mm. to 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 at least preserve it at the time where I'm I'm able I'm fertile I can give children that hysterectomy is not necessarily the only option right and mm-hmm. so again if you want to have a certain outcome you choose the provider that can get you that outcome mm-hmm. right you don't sell on this notion that, okay, this is the provider, they're the expert, you really have to have access to that information. But if we don't allow these providers to to access the, you know, our audience, they're not going to know any better. They're not going to know that a midwife is actually the expert in birth and an OB is the expert in medicine and surgery. They're not going to know that. Oh, that is so good. And especially like watching, um, the documentary, Catherine, where we met Shani, um, Aftershock, um, it talks about how, you know, the um, OB practice was created out of midwifery, you know, by, so it's, and I didn't know that until I watched it, and so many people think, okay, the doctor is the expert in birth, right, and the midwife is like, I don't trust it, it sounds like witchcraft, you know, people are afraid of that type of stuff now, but it's like, you don't even know the history behind it. Like, this is where it began. This is what you should trust. And I hope people are listening or not thinking that this is a, um, like, medical, like, bashing type episode. Or, because it's not, you might be uncomfortable listening to this because this might be different from what, you know, you have been, like, accustomed to believe based on where society is now. And that's okay. But this is just good information for you to know to just kind of like open your perspectives to different things that you may have not been thinking about when it comes down to, you know, choosing your providers for your motherhood and your, or your womanhood journey. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, can you tell us a little bit more like what? Because you mentioned a little bit about the leap procedure mm-hmm. um, that you had to go through. So can you tell us a little bit more about like this fertility process, like how? What is a visit at a fertility doctor 
doctor's office like? I could tell you what my experience was at one clinic. Okay. And I'm hoping, you know, honestly, that there are others who had quite different experiences, but this is the one that I necessarily stepped into, right? Um, again, it, with, despite all that I said and all that I know now, I went to a fertility specialist because I was seeking help to get pregnant. So what do I do? I go to the expert in fertility because that's kind of what, you know, you're told, Right. And yet, I didn't realize how me wanting a natural, as natural as can be, I'm married to a woman, right? So I cannot have a biological, um, you know, uh, uh, conception. So me having, you know, just kind of um, that knowledge, I was like, okay, I don't want any more additional, you know, medications, trigger shots, things like that. I want to just try to see if I can just do this with an IUI. Well, the first process, I mean, of course, What's it's an IUI? an IUI is an intrauterine insemination. And I didn't even know that term. I was like, what is an IUI? You know, what's an ICI? What's an intracervical insemination? What's, a, what's just a vag? I just thought, okay, you're going to just insert the sperm as it is that that is it is ejaculated out of the the male um that donates the donor sperm you're just going to insert that into my vagina and i'm going to probably put my legs up the wall and then go away for 15 minutes i didn't realize seven thousand dollars later that that was actually not the case at all at least in the clinic i chose this is not again all fertility clinics, all people's experience. But to get your donor sperm, there's the, the bulk of that cost, right? Depending on where you go, where that sperm is, who the subject is, who the donor is, right? But then, because I have the history that I had, um, which I later found out almost every woman in my family has some type of abnormal something the uterine lining looks a little thicker than normal the, our cervix is always coming back abnormal with our pap smears like i have a long history of just being abnormal which has always made me now question in the past at least several months i wonder if we were the <laughs> if, if, if we were we were just the actual you know control to where everyone else is like you know what's what's evidence-based normal you know i just kind of wonder because i mean they never went ahead and got an elite procedure. They never gone and did, you know, did the medical interventions that I chose to do for my abnormalities. But $1,000 later, after procedures to check to make sure my uterus was okay, I was actually able to finally have sperm injected in me. But I'm sharing all of this backstory with you because when I started on this process, it was just a matter of buying sperm, which is about five to $6,000, depending on how many vials you want, walking into a fertility clinic and having to do test after test after test after test, which amount to a lot of money and time. Yeah. And it's because depending on that clinic, they have to investigate anything that looks abnormal. My body is just going to show up always abnormal, right? I've just kind of like just, just decided that. 
Like I'm not going to, to fit the norm. So I'm going to pay more if I decide to continue on a medicated journal journey. That is what I did. I walked into a fertility clinic with experts in medicated fertility. Mm. Had I known that there were options for natural fertility, I would have never stepped foot in that place. Mm. So after those tests, I finally come to the understanding that my sperm has to be, my donor sperm has to be injected into my uterus and cannot just be inserted into my vagina because it's been washed. And I literally understood this after I had already paid 7000 at this point. So I said, what does that mean? Wash sperm, like all the sperm is washed? They said, yeah, but you don't want that stuff in, the, in you anyway. I, then, then that's when you go, I don't care who I'm married to. Like, what are you talking about? That is literally the, what keeps the sperm alive for mm -hmm. days at a time. What do you mean that stuff? So that stuff that they were talking about was literally the seminal fluid that keeps the sperm alive, that allows it to travel through the vaginal canal, which is extremely acidic allows it to get through my cervix, which is like a pinhole at this point because of my leap procedure, and allows it to stay in the uterus until it's able to fertilize the, the egg. And because I didn't have that understanding that now I have wasp sperm that can, I can't take home and do this myself, I actually have to come to you and pay $264 a pop, excuse me, an IUI. I allowed myself to really trust in experts that were only doing what they do, not educate myself on all the things I was just pulling, you know, uh, my checkbook out for. Yeah. And put myself in a situation that now I have vials upon vials and they're going to be in injected into me, inserted into me in a natural way. So I quote, do that in air quotes, natural way. Because now I've gotten through all of this and I tell them, I don't want the trigger shot. <laughs> so instead of reading at this point, instead of, 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 I'm getting into my feelings a little bit. So if I start talking a little bit of New Jersey, if the New Jersey comes out, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, to let me get into my feelings. It's just going to ride with me for a little bit. So I, I got to this point and now I tell them, I do not want the trigger shot that will caused me to uh, produce a lot of follicles to make sure that my egg gets um, uh, fertilized, that, that's, that, 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 um, that I get pregnant, right? I, I don't want to do that. I just want them to insert. So they just tell me, okay, well, then go ahead and just use the ovulation test and just tell us when you're, you're uh, positive. And it was after the fourth IUI that I came across Catherine $8,000 later at this point. And I'm dropping the numbers so that people understand there was a cost to this, but this was now six months, right? Of six mm -hmm. IUIs, right? And so I'm, I'm giving you that time frame because in all that time, it just didn't dawn on me that there has to be something more than a stick yeah. to see if I'm really fertile. Like it just would, I mean, I was coming in on day 17 and when I finally just broke down and just like decided to let my pride go away. Yes, I'm a doctor. Yes, I'm board certified. And that doesn't mean anything when you only know what you've been taught 
and what you've been practicing, you are, you're, 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 you are, um, advantage to that information that you lack, mm -hmm. right? You're only as good as what you know. So when I finally let my pride down and just decided to talk to somebody, Catherine starts telling me, Dr. Sylvester starts telling me about cervical fluid, about body temperature, about all of this stuff. And I'm like, these people didn't tell me any of that. I got into my feelings. I got very upset. Like I got offended. I've been going to a fertility clinic being told to pee on a stick and to come in when that stick is positive in my true fertility window was literally around day nine, day 10. And I was coming in day 17. That egg was nowhere to be found. So I'm not angry. Oh my I just sound angry. What I'm trying to tell you <laughs> no, all. I, I was angry. <laughs> you all is that they were doing their job. They were doing what they know how to do. They're practicing medicine. If I wanted to go to someone who specialized in natural fertility, I should have never set foot in that place. But that was, that was my ignorance. That was the cost of my ignorance. It, mm -hmm. it, it, to me, the cost was not the money, it was the time. I hate wasting time. If anyone knows me, Rebecca does not like wasting time. Time is infinitely more valuable than any dollar that I can make back. Mm. I can't get that time back. Yeah. So I'd rather share my story publicly, being still in the thick of it, so that it can save someone else time. Because that's more important to me at this point. Time. Yes. Know your body, know your cervical fluid, know your basal body temperature. And if you don't know those things, learn them. They're in books. If you want to hide something from somebody, put it in a book. That is a quote from somebody. It is. And it's, a, it's, it's the worst type of quote. You want to mm -hmm. hide something from somebody, put it in a book. Mm. Yeah. You know, the things that, you, that we talked about are things that we really believe girls should know before they start their cycle. Mm -hmm. So all of the, you know, Everyone is, is talking and upset about the Roe v. Wade overturn. And what I'll say about it is our job is to make it so that no woman is ever in the position to need it, whether it is from a resource standpoint, a knowledge standpoint, a practice standpoint. Our job at Operation Mist is for women to know their bodies way before it becomes an issue of her accidentally getting pregnant or not having the, the resources that she needs to protect herself from getting pregnant. We need to know our bodies before we end up in a fertility clinic, before we agree to a leap procedure, before we agree to having an abortion. Um, there are things that those things do to our bodies and nobody tells us. So that we have those things done and we sign something for informed consent, but we really don't even know what we're doing to our future fertility. We don't know what birth control is doing to us. You have women who are on it their whole lives and then they want to get pregnant at 35 and then they don't realize that it could take three years for their cycle to get regular again. It may take three months, but it could take three years. And so now you're sitting there at the end of your most fertile time having, it, having issues and not realizing that it's because of birth control that you started taking a long time ago. And so I love that you are 
transparent because your story, like you said, you're still in the middle of it. Most people will come back and tell their story once they get pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is getting all the information so that the next time, because you talk about the time cost, there are some people who the emotional cost yeah. of being excited about getting pregnant month after month after month after month, and they don't even know that the ovulation, there is so much that is variable about the ovulation kit that if you just know your body, you can do it on your own. You don't need anybody to tell you what your body is doing. But the problem is, is that we gave over control way before the Roe v. Wade overturned. We gave it away way before that. And so it's now time for us to wake up and take it back. What you're doing is taking it back. You're going to the right providers. You're getting the right information. You're reading the right books. You're looking at your own body and saying, I am the master of my body. When we talk about experts, we are the experts of our bodies, right? And so the yeah. problem is that we, we can't be the experts because we haven't taken the time to educate ourselves. And so thanks to you, people are being educated about their bodies, about the financial cost of not knowing their bodies, the time cost, the emotional cost, and now about the providers that they can bring on board and seek out so that things can be done naturally. And so the book that she talks about that, that I referenced is Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And on Wednesday, we are going to teach everyone who will attend the live how to know your body, your cycle, your actual cycle. Not that you bleed and that you need to wear a tampon or a pad, because that's what we are taught when we are younger, that we need to put on a tampon, put on a pad, and not wear white clothes just in case one of those two things fail, right? That's what we're taught. And so there is so much more. Some of us think that it's a monthly cycle. It's not that. Cycles can be as little as 21 days to as long as we've seen women now on our watch 100 days long. But even in that 100 days, you have fertile days. And so we can tell you when you can get pregnant. And so we have to start shifting the paradigm and stop thinking cycles are 28 days. Women release an egg on day 14 and that they, they can or cannot get pregnant in a year and then they go to a fertility doctor if they can't. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. And so we have, to, we have to redefine what it means to know our bodies, what it means to, to get pregnant, be able to get pregnant, what it means to stop ourselves from getting pregnant. And so for me, as both of you know, I've been on the natural method for 12, 12 years now. And yeah. so nothing for me to be like, like the other day he was like, hey, what's up? I was like, a condom, that's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get a condom. <laughs> and then we can make Listen. it. Okay. So, that's a good point though, because for me as a, I'm the only single one on the call. This is my life um, most days now. But as a single person who is not, I'm not sexually active, but I'm not trying to get pregnant. And for people who are listening who are single and not trying to get pregnant, you still need to understand your cycle. Because I think what it, the buzz in media now is people, the people who are talking about fertility are just the people who are trying to get pregnant. But the people who are not trying to get pregnant, it's just as important for you to know when to not get pregnant as it is important for them to know when to try to get pregnant, if that makes sense. So I'm so happy 
that Catherine has been educating everybody on the importance of cervical fluid and how to check that. And I'm so happy that Dr. Seagrace is sharing her story. And so, and we really got to see the insight of how much time, money, emotional stress is really put into this fertility journey. And I think it's important for us all to know that, you know, mastering this like womanhood journey and learning our bodies is work. And I think the easy thing to do is to find, go to the expert, you know, the doctor that you think is the expert and let them do everything. You just go pay your money and just hope that things work out. But it's not working, y'all. Dr. Seagrass story is so many people's story that mm-hmm. spend months and months and years and years and thousands of dollars just going to a doctor, getting a procedure, hoping and praying, and never buying the one book and doing the work and educating themselves. And I really wish that the narrative would change and we would learn our bodies first yes. before yes. we go, you know, but... That's why we're having these conversations. Yeah. Like, if we take the provider all the information they need, then we can, then they can know what we don't need, what they don't need to check. Mm -hmm. It's like going into your doctor and not telling them, well, I had this done, this done, this done, this done. They're just going to check everything because they don't know what's already been checked. So if you have your parts, then you know, well, I need at least 10 days of a luteal phase, right? And we'll talk about this once. I need at least 10 days for the egg to implant, right? And if I don't have the 10 days and I'm just going to bleed, then then give me something that'll lengthen my luteal phase, right? Or let me read that book and, and it gives you tips on ways that you can impact that. And so if you have a really long luteal phase, then they don't need to be looking at that. Look at my, let me tell you, I never have egg white cervical fluid. Not me. I have plenty of egg white cervical fluid. <laughs> Then you go to your fertility doctor and say that, hey, I, my, my luteal phase is like 16 days, so I'm good on that, but I'm not having any egg white cervical fluid. Is there something that you can do to enhance that? And then please don't put me on the medication that actually makes my cervical fluid worse. I'd appreciate that. So what, what can we do from here? So it's like you can give them the information to guide them. And so everybody wins. The fertility doctor gets to do what they do, give you the right medicine. You get to go in with more confidence that you are going to actually conceive successfully. And that's only if you find a problem. If you're tracking, then you probably, you you can still get pregnant because you're tracking. And so even if you have a problem or what you perceive to be a problem, maybe the problem is not really a problem after all. Dr. Catherine, I mean, you're, you're talking about someone who's a partner on their fertility journey, not yes. a patient. Yes. And again, you have to know and interview and do as much research on your provider like you would your 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 partner, your life partner. Or your hairstylist. Or your hairstylist. Someone help me. No, seriously. <laughs> but if you do as much research on wherever, I tender whoever, I don't know, like what's out there now. But if you're doing research on the people that you allow to be intimate with you, checking them out, checking the family, checking the financials, doing all of that, why wouldn't you do half as much work on the provider you're entrusting with your care? I entrusted an OB with my care to do a LEAP procedure, not knowing she was going to literally cut so much tissue that every IUI 
was pain. No one should have that much pain during conception. But that scar tissue had literally shrunk and adhered itself to my vaginal wall. Mm. Every nurse that did my IUI could not find my cervical opening. Every nurse. Wow. So I had to have essentially a pap smear and what looked like a crochet needle mm. open. And the last time that it happened, I was on a bench outside of a restaurant because I thought it would be a good idea to eat afterwards. All joking aside, I was in the most excruciating pain. And I am not a public person when it comes to that. I literally could not sit. I couldn't be in a standing position. I couldn't walk. This was in a public place where I was lying down on the phone with you, Catherine. I could not think of one person in my life my personal life or professional life that I would I needed to talk to to bring me down from that. I didn't realize the cervix would refer that type of pain. I felt everything that every woman who had stepped into my office ever talked about when it came to pelvic pain. I felt it all in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand what that was. And so that was a surgery done in 2019. And I was feeling it in 2022. These are the kind of procedures that if you don't get intimate with the providers who are going to do them so that you know exactly what they're going to do and the implications of that procedure down the road, then you're not working hard enough. You're not searching hard enough. You're not interviewing hard enough. You are going with the first person that you found that comes up on your feed. You go make an appointment and you just trust them. That's the biggest risk you could take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Catherine? I have nothing except gratitude for you, um, for you coming out, for you sharing. Um, you are not a public crier. I am. Um, <laughs> and it, it really makes me sad that a lot of women have gone through what you are experiencing right now. Um, and it's not just in trying to get pregnant. We have women experiencing that same emotional toil um, or toll during delivery. And then we have the same women having that happen to them following delivery. And so for you to come here with us and share your story. And really, you had the underlying agenda of promoting oppression. <laughs> <laughs> It is uh, so humbling, Dr. Seagraves. You, anyone who comes across your path is blessed to have you, um, to have you in their corner, to have you in their life. And any provider who is blessed to have you walk into the office um, will be better as a result. Every time we are in your presence, we learn, we grow, and we have an even stronger why for Operation Mist. It started out, honestly, with postpartum and pregnancy, and then it extended to preconception, and now it is pre-preconception. <laughs> and it is fertility. It is that women need, women need support from the womb to the tomb. And we just want to fill that. We want to fill those gaps. And so thank you. Thank you. 
for sharing your story with us. Thank you both, really. Thank you both. I feel the same way about both of you. We love you. I am so full. Do y'all feel lighter? I feel lighter. I should feel lighter. <laughs> I'm ready for Wednesday, y'all. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta teach. We have a, a a calling to answer. We have a a job to do. And so, the more stories that we hear like this, the less we want to hear. Um, what you said, Dr. Mm. Our goal. No woman should ever have to come to us to have this type of support. No woman should have to need physical therapy after a C-section because half the ones that are being done don't need to be done in the first place. And so on our desire is that we have less less of these conversations and more people saying, I got pregnant without needing X. I I had a delivery and nobody asked me if I wanted to be induced. I had a vaginal delivery after a C-section and my doctor suggested it. They didn't go to schedule a C-section when I was in. That's what we want. So I guess that um, in answer to Justin's question, I will feel lighter when more of those conversations come to life. Absolutely. Same here. So good. So good. I feel lighter because every time I talk to y'all, I feel lighter. It is so refreshing to just know people who are in this fight and mm-hmm. it just it it puts just fire under your feet to keep going yeah. so thank yeah. you so much dr seagrace for all you are as a person as a woman just every time you talk it's so compelling and it makes you just lean forward and want to listen and like Catherine said we always learn more from you and i just remember like following you when I first got on Instagram. So I have been following you for so long before we had our like first meeting about Operation Miss. So like this is full circle for me, fangirling over here. So appreciative, (laughs) seriously. Oh, thank you both. I'm humbled. I'm absolutely humbled, really. Thank you. And I feel light. I absolutely feel light every time Mm. I find the courage and the strength to just get over that pride you know, get over that embarrassment or that shame or that whatever it is that keeps us from just shining our light, right? I honestly, I feel like this this is going to help someone. I know you too. You are doing God's work. And I don't use that lightly. And you buck the system. And you decide to say, I'm not going to do what y'all want me to do. And I'm not going to be confined. And I'm going to educate people to take care of themselves. You're, you are going against the grain. You are not doing the work of, of your specialty, of your license, right? You're doing a higher level work. And I know that might turn off some of the audience, but, you know, so be it. This is God's work. Amen. 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 And to everyone who came, to all the birth workers who are supporting moms and their families, we are so grateful that y'all spent some time tonight with us because we we don't take it for granted. And we know people who primary care doctors, direct primary care doctors, chiropractors, massagers, we know people in all of those areas. Um, and we are grateful for you. Uh, for you doing the work because it takes all of us so thank you all so much we have um you know our podcast is the operation miss podcast tackling the maternal health crisis 
And so it starts, it starts now. It starts with conversations like this. So thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Operation Miss podcast. It is our hope that you leave this conversation showered with love and empowered to live. If you are interested in being a part of Operation Mist, please head to operationmist.org to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we can serve you.